This episode of the RPG Academy podcast is brought to you by Hyperdrive Gaming. Hyperdrive Gaming is an eBay store that focuses on Star Wars collectibles and comic books. It is ran by Red Rabbit, who is a long-term listener and fan of the show. And we are very excited to have him and his site sponsoring today's episode. So go over to ebay.com slash USR slash Hyperdrive Gaming, and there will be links in the show notes to check out the Star Wars collectibles and comic books that he has for sale. Because if you're listening to this, you probably like both Star Wars and comic books. So check it out. That is Hyperdrive Gaming, the eBay store by friend of the show, Red Rabbit. Again, there will be links in the show notes. This episode of the RPG Academy is also brought to you by City of Mist. City of Mist is a noir superhero role-playing game currently on Kickstarter and well over 300% funded. I think they're going to make it. Uh, Yeah, I think they already have. Oh, math. (laughs) This is an incredibly unique role-playing game that allows players to create characters based on themes and story elements, not just stats and class abilities. If you are looking for a game that allows you to dig into urban fantasy, noir themes, and otherworldly superhero mysteries, City of Mist is what you've been looking for. Swing over to Kickstarter and check them out. The link is in the show notes. Academaniacs. 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 The root word is academy, not academia. Academaniacs. Is this what's going to cause the end of the show? This is it. This this is the line in the sand. I like saying academaniacs. <laughs> I can't help it. Hello and welcome to another faculty meeting from the RPG Academy. I am Michael, and I have brought along with me, as I always do, my favorite co-host and yours, the Caleb G. Caleb, how are you doing tonight, sir? You know, Michael, I'm a little bit melancholy. As we are recording this, it is the last day of my vacation, so I'm a little bummed out. Uh, But it's also Halloween, so happy Halloween. And uh, (laughs) I didn't do a thing. I didn't do anything for Halloween. So, I'm a little sad. Oh, There's still time. You could, you know, have some kind of crazy romp. Yeah, but we're sitting here recording. It's 8.30 at night. Uh, I have no friends in the area. Now you're making me sad. Well, you know, you're, you're the one that's living four hours away. I blame you. Well, we got Christopher now in the middle of us. Uh, no, he's actually on the north end of me. He's further north. So you're the meat in the Michael and Christopher sandwich. Oh, God, that's terrifying. Well, there's Halloween. All right, I feel better. (laughs) I wanted to terrify you. I have succeeded. You are welcome. I'm going to go eat a Snickers and forget my troubles. (laughs) This episode brought to you by Snickers. (laughs) Uh, No, it's not. So for those of you who are new, uh, the reason we gather for these faculty meetings is so that Caleb and I can talk about our recent games and the general state of RPG 
and the general state of our RPG lives. And we hope that through these conversations, we can share some of the experience that he and I have gleaned from our many years of playing tabletop RPGs. Now, we understand that the opinions we share and the advice we give may not work at every table every time, but there is one piece of advice that we feel is pretty universal. And Caleb, what is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct. So no matter what game you play, the system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Now, with all that out of the way, do we have any announcements this morning? Or I should say this evening. Uh, Does that mean I'm going first? You can? <laughs> uh, sure. Um, a catacon is right around the corner. Have I heard of this? That sounds familiar to me. Uh, sure. Yeah, it was that thing that used to be in your basement that Val got really upset about uh, that we then had to move someplace where we spent thousands of dollars to make Val happy. Val, if you ever listen to this, I'm sorry. She doesn't listen. It doesn't matter. Oh, great. I'll continue the Val jokes. <laughs> we have a new bit, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Moving forward. Yes, uh, a catacon is right around the corner. That is, uh, it is crazy. It's been a lot of work. We've uh, we've sort of joked for a while. I guess it's not really a joke, but we've kind of joked about how this podcast is basically another job for you and I among all the time we spend doing it. And truly, a catacon has been another job. I have been putting easily 40 hours a week in on a catacon for the last two or three weeks. Yeah, uh, this podcast is the job we don't get paid for, and when a catacon season rolls around, that is another job on top of this job. Yes. To be fair, though, we we do have some patrons who do help. I mean, it's not like we're getting paid for the show, but we do get some money, so I don't I don't want to disvalue that uh, because we are very appreciative of those patrons. But even with their generous support, if we both got part time jobs at McDonald's, we'd come out way ahead. I do like cheeseburgers. I do too. And actually, McDonald's double cheeseburgers aren't bad. They're really not. They're, ugh. Well, we don't want to fall down a fatty rabbit hole here. <laughs> so, hey, a catacot is right around the corner. Uh, we have been doing a lot of work to get ready for it. Let's be honest. Michael has been doing a lot more work than me since he is in the area and he can actually go to the convention center and get everything set up. I'm the schmuck that lives three hours away. So uh, lots of kudos to Michael for pulling a catacon together. If you are coming to a catacon, that means you are one of the cool kids. So you definitely deserve high fives and you absolutely need to give Michael high fives for doing all of this work. Uh, if you are not coming to a catacon, well, you're still one of the cool kids because you're listening to this podcast, but I proactively take a high five away from you. Ooh. Negative high five. It's it's a preemptive anti-five. Man. It's really complicated. There's quantum mechanics involved. Let's just not talk about it. Uh, but yeah, that's that, that's my announcement. A catacon is happening. We all knew that. We've been talking about it for months. Uh, I know you've got something to bring up here, Michael, that is very important for the next yeah. few months here. So why don't I give you uh, the, the stage here, sir? Well, well, it ties in very much with what you just said, uh, because a catacon has been a crap ton of work. And again, I'm I'm very happy to do it. I'm super excited. I think this year is going to be amazing. I'm looking so forward to it. But it has been a crazy amount of work that I feel like I kind of need to break. And on top of that, we've also ran again into some crazy scheduling issues, uh, more with my home group than the online group currently. But I have... 
One of my players' wives is pregnant with their second child. Two of my players have gotten new jobs in the last little while. Another of my players has been getting basically mandatory overtime. So we have had a ridiculously difficult time to schedule games. That's one reason why Dark Discovery has not been coming out. And again, I know I've said this about other things before, but no one is more frustrated lack of Dark Discovery than myself because that is probably maybe my favorite game I've ever ran. So we're going to take a little time. Basically, this episode is probably going to be the last new episode that comes out this year. We have a couple of the Open Legend games that are already in the can that will come out. We still have our recap of the Open Legend that will be out. And we also have a few episodes we've kind of been sitting on for a while that we're going to release. But basically, no new faculty meetings, no new detentions, no new actual plays other than what's already done until the beginning of January. We're going to take the rest of November off for the holidays, recover from a catacomb. We're going to take all of December off. Now, the, the goal here is not to just not do anything and then come back in January and be behind again, but to use that time to record some things, get some things already edited and in the can and start 2017 with a little bit of bank so that we can continue to release episodes timely like we have been doing. And again, I I understand that we do have again people who listen to us regularly. We have our patrons who support us monthly. I completely understand if that puts you in a bind that we may not release something. If so, let us know. We will work that out if we have to. But we also release on average two or more episodes a week, which is probably more than any other podcast that you listen to most of the time. So I feel like we've still got a year's worth of content out. Hopefully you guys agree. So anything else from you, Caleb, and then we'll wrap up announcements. Uh, just to clarify, this is not a Ross and Rachel break. Uh, if you, <laughs> We were on a break. If you listened to the excellent Halloween wushu game, little bit of a throwback there for you. We will be back in 2017 with new content, and I'm pretty excited. I'm looking forward to getting a bunch of stuff recorded and ready over the next two months here so that as we start the new year, we can really just move full steam ahead. Yeah, there's a lot of things we've done recently that I just wish I had more time to do more with. And the Halloween special is one of those. Like, we added some um, sound effects in there. I would have loved to have had more time to do that even better. I'm happy with what we got, but I would really like to be able to take some time and get some stuff together. We actually have some wrought iron done that's not been out yet, so we can spend more time on that. We're going to get some more Dark Discovery put together, and maybe even a few other, um, you know, not, not want to say secret projects, but special stuff. We got some movie days lined up. We got some, again, some new detention. So hopefully our loyal listeners will, will understand and appreciate that we need a little, bit of, a little bit of a break and that we'll be back in January. But with all of that out of the way, we're going to get into the episode proper with one small detour first. Uh, if you're new, you don't know how to get a hold of us, or if, if you've been around for a while and you still don't know, Caleb, how can our listeners get a hold of us if they have questions, comments, concerns, or anything they'd like to talk to us about? Uh, you write your message on a coconut, and you attach it to a swallow, and send it away. That is incorrect. Well, then I'm just going to go jump off a bridge. <laughs> <laughs> If you would like to get in touch with us, uh, you can find us, of course, on Twitter at the RPG Academy and at the Caleb G. And of course, you can email us the old fashioned way, uh, Michael or myself at the RPG Academy dot com or the general inbox podcast at the RPG Academy dot com. Awesome. Now we're going to 
try. This is episode 101, by the way, if you're not paying attention. Asterisk. 101. Asterisk. Asterisk 101. And uh, we're going to try to get back, as we've done before, to some some segments. We actually have an outline for this episode. We haven't done that in a very long time. We're going to bring back some old favorites, and we're going to bring in some new things as well. But we're going to start with Gamer's Lexicon. So, Caleb, what is our Gamer's Lexicon term or idea or phrase for today? Michael, today we are talking about homebrew. I don't drink. Well, then I guess this show is over. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you in 2017. <laughs> see you next time. Yeah, 2017. No, in this context, homebrew means, well, it can mean a lot of things. Basically, homebrew is best defined as anything that is not a printed or published game module or game supplement. So, of course, that means we have to expand our definition a little bit into also understanding what published supplements and materials are. In short, when you go to the game store, when you go over to the game website, drive through RPG, which you should access through our portal, um, the RPGacademy.com, uh, anything you buy that is published, if there is a printed module, a printed adventure in there, if there is a story that you can follow along with. That's what this printed content is that we're talking about. So when we say running a module or a pre-made module, that's what you're doing. You're picking up something that a publishing company or another person wrote, and you're basically following along this roadmap that they've made. So in general terms, you could really say anything you're using out of the player's handbook, Dungeon Master Guide, Monster Manual, that's all printed material, printed supplements that you're using for your game. Homebrew is the opposite. It's anything that is not in one of those books. So if you sit down and say, hey guys, let's play some Dungeons and Dragons. What do you want to do? You want to start in a city? Okay, let's make the city. You want to start in a underground hive of Life that is after a giant apocalypse has destroyed the surface world? Sure, let's create that. You're creating a homebrew game at that point. When you're making up a story and you're making up your own facts, figures, details, that's homebrew. Now, it can also expand a little bit. You can do homebrew races, classes, powers, abilities, magic, feats, that kind of thing. In general, homebrew means anything that you, as a game master or player, are making up, writing down yourself, creating at home, and using in your own game. As a prime example, Wrought Iron and Dark Discovery, homebrew games. We're not running those games out of a book. We didn't go buy the book Wrought Iron, and we're not playing through the Wrought Iron game on the show. Michael did not go buy Dark Discovery. He wrote it. He created it. These are homebrew games. Now, I would uh, further confuse the issue. Like you do. Like I do. Just to clarify that, if you're buying something that is printed, but it is not from the official publisher, that would actually be what most people would call a third-party product. It's not homebrew, but it also may not be official. And because the DMs Guild, specifically for 5th edition, kind of exists, that would lump in there as well. You can go to DMs Guild and you can buy classes, feats, spells, modules, whatever. And it's not core canon content in regards to 
the, the player's handbook, it's well, I guess it is canon in a way, or it can be canon, I guess, but it's still homebrew because someone else that isn't the publisher created it. And then like a good example, Cobalt Press came out with that uh, bestiary, Tome of Beasts. That's not really homebrew, but it's not core either. But again, I think I'm making it more complicated than it needed to be. Our focus for tonight was what is homebrew? That's something that you've created on your own. It can be the module that you play through, the, the world that your players live in, rules. If you if you create a new rule that if you roll a 20, you roll another 20, and if that 20, you roll another 20, you automatically kill the thing that you hit, that's a homebrew world, or excuse me, homebrew rule. If you say that everybody gets max hit points at every level, that's a homebrew rule type of a thing. It's basically, it's not in the book, but it's something that you do. It's homebrew. And... To be perfectly frank, I love homebrew. I've always played homebrew. My very first experience with Dungeons and Dragons has, from from then till now, has always been a story the GM made up or a story that we cooperatively told together. I have played through modules. I have not run modules, but I have participated in games where a module was used. But I I think homebrew games are more fun. So I have sort of a, a take on this. And, and, and with this conversation, we are now going to move out of Gamers Lexicon and into the main topic, which we're going to call General Assembly, because it, it is basically the same topic. We were asked a while ago about advice for preparing to run a module as compared to a homebrew game. And like yourself... I almost always run homebrew. You know, when I first started playing D&D a long, long time ago, I'm sure I ran some of the modules. I probably bought Dragon Magazine and ran some of the side quests. And, and you know, I ran some of the, uh, from the expert box, the, you know, the, what was the, the, um, the Isle of something, the Isle of Dread, I think is like the first hex crawl adventure that's in one of those. I'm sure I tried those because I remember not liking them. And I've been an, an ardent advocate that homebrew is better for years and years and years. And very recently, I had the opportunity to kind of test that. And I've ran two module games in the last month or so. And it did give me a little bit of a perspective about how I went about it and how I would do it differently and the advice I would give. Well, let's get into that. Uh, in my perception, a module is very much like a video game of sorts. When you sit down and uh, <laughs> I'm dating myself here, when you put a cartridge into the video game <laughs> console and you boot up uh, an RPG, you are playing through pre-made situations. And you might be able to choose how long you spend in a town or which NPCs you talk to. But as you move from point A to point B to point C in the plot, preset data loads, pre-written scenes happen. So in your experiences running some of these modules recently, is that how it's played out? Sort of. So big caveat, very big caveat here. The first module that I ran through was Vasily's Woe, which is uh, from the Imperium's campaign setting. Uh, William Muma wrote it. He's going to be at a catacomb. He asked us to showcase his module. I said, absolutely, we'll take a look at it. There are a lot of, I don't want to say mistakes. There are a lot of creative license that was taken with that module that if anyone were to buy it or run it themselves, there's going to be a lot of differences. And part of that is because I'm so used to running home homebrew that I I wasn't able to follow it accurately. 
but it was still a lot of fun. And the module was still a great outline for me to follow. So it was a very valuable tool, but I still didn't run it the way the module probably expected me to. And it would have eventually caused problems. That's one of the biggest things we realized because this is a brand new setting. It's not just, you know, something I'm familiar with in, in, in the module and religion plays a large part of it. And there was like a whole four or five pages on religion. And one of the characters was playing a cleric. He's like, what God do I, am I worshiping? I'm like, I don't know one of these. He picked one. We were like all the way through the first session, which was like the first two episodes before I realized made no sense that he picked that God and the fact that he picked that God and then he made choices about his character that completely contradicted the module later in the, in the game, we had to just start changing some stuff to make it work. So that's a long digression to say, yes, most of your modules are written in a way that it is, it's, I don't want to say it's programmed like a video game, but it tries to help steer a newer GM and not have to create the things that an experienced GM would probably create in a homebrew world. But it does become limiting if you don't know that you can break those bounds if you need to. It's kind of like the Matrix. You know, you're in the Matrix. It's it's great. But once you realize that the Matrix is just the guidelines, you can actually break through that. Then you've opened yourself up to a whole new world. So here's a question for you. And I'm sure most people are thinking this. Specifically with Vasily's Woe, do you think you ran into these snags, these roadblocks, these problems because you're just not used to running modules or because you didn't do enough preparation? Both. Because the second one was based on the first one. I sat down with, because we have been asked before, how would you prepare for a module? And I've given the advice. Read the module, beginning to end, probably more than once. Make sure you know everything about it. Make sure you know where everything is going so that when they are meeting the first NPC and it's he's described as the, you know, sad, lonely barkeep. And then five chapters in, you realize he's actually this powerful wizard. You know that the first time you meet him. I had the best intentions of sitting down and reading that module cover to cover. I could not do it. I tried. I tried breaking it into chunks. Tried. Couldn't do it. Part of that was just, again, I have, you know, crazy ADHD issues. Uh, part of it was just time. I didn't have as much time to dedicate to that as I wanted to. So the fact that I did not read it from cover to cover caused us to make choices that would have caused problems later if we didn't make changes to the module, which is what I did. I just I just changed things in the game that made the, the earlier decisions make sense, even though I, we should never have made them if I had done that research first. That makes sense. I mean, I mean, I I think that is the most logical answer to that question: why it didn't go as smoothly as possible. So after that, you ran another module game. This time in Shadow of the Demon Lords. Yes. So how did that go? Did you learn from your mistakes? I, I did, but but the thing that I think is most interesting to me in in this conversation is the way those two modules are written are very different. And to my viewpoint, I think the one for Shadow of the Demon Lord is written more for someone that has more experience because it was mostly an outline. And that worked really well for me because I was able to do most of the same prep I would normally do using that as an outline rather than my own. Because again, my normal prep is I write a loose outline, I have a few note cards, and then I just kind of wing the rest of it. 
And I was able to do that with that Shadow of the Demon Lord because it basically had it had a list of people, which were very important. And I, I, I copied and pasted the people and sent that to all the players and said, you live in this town, you know these people. And I redacted anything like if someone was secretly someone else, that was removed. But they basically got a list of all the NPCs. So they knew a little bit about them. And then the module itself was like four points, like introduction up to the module, the mystery, you know, basically the, the investigative part, the the fight, the ne- the twist, and then the resolution. And I just had all those points on a note card with a few notes on the front and back, had the stats written down, and I was able just to wing everything else. And as long as I got them to each point, A, B, C, D, eventually... It worked great, and I, I think it was a great experience. I really enjoyed the module. I had fun. Players seemed to really enjoy it as well. But I think what I learned, two things. The way the module was written, and again, I don't want to stress, I'm not saying it was written better, but it was written in a way that was better for me. If someone is new and they don't really know how to do those things yet, they're not comfortable improving, then having a more complete module probably would help, but it requires more work. And I'm the type of person that I... I thrived in the in the loose improv heavy version more than I did when I needed to do more research and I didn't properly do it. So ultimately what I would say is I should have prepped the first one the way I prepped the second one. I should have made my note cards just like I normally would have. I should have written all the NPCs down and written physical descriptions, flipped through the entire book looking for any time that character was mentioned and writing down all the clues they know and, and the, the rumors they're going to know. And had I done that, then I wouldn't have had the problems I would have had. I, I think something that's valuable to pull out of what you've just explained here, Michael, is that the typical module is almost like a choose-your-own-adventure setup. It gives you descriptions. It, they'll, they'll be instructions to you as the GM to say, read this to your players. You walk into a town, you see the shadow of the wizard's tower reaching over the villagers off to the north there is blah 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 off to the west there is blah 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 it gives you uh details it provides the setting and then typically even though i have not read modules even though i've not run modules i have read modules so typically there will be chunks to read and instructions to follow based on what your players do so there might be a, if your players decide to go to the tavern, read this, and then there'll be some details about NPCs and different quests or situations that might pop up, and usually there would be a reference there to a stat block of an NPC or a monster or a bandit if there's a fight. So a typical, a classic module can be helpful if you are not comfortable or confident in running a bare-bones, improv-heavy gaming session. So it definitely has its place. I, I think what we are saying here is not that modules are bad by any means. We are not saying that. They are just different ways to approach a game and run a game. I firmly believe that modules serve a great purpose of helping teach players how to run games and eventually how to write their own homebrew content. Yeah, I think that's kind of my viewpoint. And and again, I don't want this to sound condescending, but I would view one of those classic modules almost as like a paint by numbers situation 
where if you follow the instructions and you put blue where the number two is and you put red where the number one is, when you get done, you're going to have a very beautiful picture. Once you've been painting for a while, you kind of move away from those and you kind of do your own thing. And at the end, it may not even look as good as the paint by numbers, but you have the freedom to paint the way that you want to. So I think that's kind of where I'm at is that I'm so used to homebrew that it was difficult for me. And, and this is very classic and it happened. Obviously, we cut it out of the episode so you never heard it. But in a normal Michael game, if they say they want to go to the town bazaar, I didn't know they were going to do that. I had no idea they were going to go shopping. But OK, you'll go to the town bazaar. They start looking for stuff. Is there anybody who sells this sort of thing? I don't know. Maybe I'll you know roll a dice or I'll decide, OK. Yes, there's a guy there. His name's Chet. He has all kinds of this thing that you want. And I'll just keep going with the story. But in the module, when they would say, is there someone in the town that does this? I would have to say, hold on. And I would go to the module and I would look and I would flip through. One, because I didn't do proper research. I didn't have my note cards. But I didn't want to mess it up. I didn't want to say yes when there shouldn't have been because maybe there's a reason why there's not. And if there was one, I wanted to use the right name. I didn't want to just say it was Chet when the, the module gave me a specific name to use because that name might be important later. Again, because I didn't do all the research. I didn't know that for sure. So it actually made the game, even though I had more information at the tips of my fingers, it made the game less smooth because I never, I didn't want to mess up. I didn't want to say something that was wrong. So I would time out the game and go to the module and look, research where in a homebrew game, I'm just going to keep saying yes or no or, or, or make my own decisions. And I think that's where modules sometimes get a bad, bad name or bad rap because they're not as fluid. And it kind of, it kind of let you remind you, Hey, we're playing a game because, you know, we're having to look up the rules type of a thing rather than it flowing naturally from the DM who's just continuing to evolve the story and, and, and move it forward. Again, that goes down to prep. Have had I done better prep, then maybe I could have ran it to the same fluidity, but I'm not good with names. Like, I'm just, I'm not. And you probably have noticed that about me in my life. We've interacted. I'm good with faces. I recognize people. I know that guy. Terrible with names. So even if I had done all the research, I probably still would have been like, hold on, flipping through my note cards. Ah, oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Chet, he's the uh, the blacksmith in the town. Let's talk about Chet. So I, I don't, that, that's probably a Michael thing, but it's easier for me to make stuff up than to recall the information that was given to me. Now, I think that speaks more to different play styles, though. You are an experienced gamer. You've created your own habits. You have your own comfort level, your own style when it comes to playing games. Newer players, people that are just getting into the hobby, might have completely different preferences. And it might be more comfortable for them to flip through a resource book. A, a module is essentially an encyclopedia about this story that is happening. It's kind of a wiki that you can look up facts in. There are frequently lists of NPCs and monsters and cities and locations. So as you are moving through this story from plot point to plot point, all of that information is in the book. So yes, there are a lot of times where unless you really read it cover to cover, you memorized everything, you're comfortable with picking up those arbitrary facts, yeah, you're going to have to look some stuff up. But if we look at modules with the expectation that they might be more geared towards people that are newer to the hobby, 
that might not be as much of a problem. Because if the GM is taking a second to flip through the book, the players are probably also taking a few minutes here and there to look up spells or weapons or how a class ability works. So in the right context, I don't feel that that is as much of a detrimental factor as it was to your experience with this module. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where where my experience actually hurt that I'm so used to doing it one way that it was difficult for me to learn to do it another, even if the other way is normal or better or easier. I just have my habits and they're, they're hard to break. I agree. I agree. I, I think that's really the biggest takeaway from this experiment, that you are a creature of habit. We all are. We all have our own preferences. We all have our own hab- habitual practices. And you were jumping pretty drastically from one end of the gaming spectrum to the other. Oh, absolutely. And and I wanted to do it. I was really looked forward to it. And I, and again, I think the game turned out very well. I'm very happy with the episodes. I've talked to William. He's very happy with the episodes. Players had fun. So that's really, at the end of the day, you know, all that matters. But it was it was valuable to me. And, and, and to kind of to bring it together, the two things I'll wrap up with is one, if I were, were to do this again, which I expect at some point I will, the way I approach it will be I'm going to take the module, and the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go and look for all of the different NPCs, whether they are divided into chapters. Some of them might have like a dramatic, was it dramatis personae or whatever, at the beginning or ending where it lists all the NPCs. And I'm going to make note cards for every one of them. I'm going to have all of that. that that's, I'm not necessarily going to read the module beginning to end, but I'm going to go through and find every NPC, and I'll make a note card with their name, with their physical description, if it has one, or make up my own. You know, role-playing tips, you know, do they have a, a saying that they do, the physical characteristic that makes them interesting? And then the things that they should know that if my players go to talk to that person, I can find that note card and everything I need is is right there. Because that's what I do in my home games. When I know there's an NPC, I make a note card like that. That's That's what I do normally. And then I'm just going to read the chapter of the, the module that we're playing. Because I just know myself. I can't, I just can't do it. I, I read a lot. But reading like a, fan, a fiction story is different than reading a module because the way it's broken down, it's not a narrative. It's these chunks of information. And it's just, it's not like, you know, it's like reading a magazine. You can't necessarily read one cover to cover. It doesn't quite work that way. So I'm going to read the chapter that we're going to play first, just like I would if I was going to run a module. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on the beginning, what happens first. I'm going to really make sure I've got that scene down. I have all the NPCs that are a part of that scene or part of that first chapter ready to go. And then I'm going to kind of just go. And hopefully by the time, you know, the first session ends after three or four hours, I'll go back and I'll re- reread the first chapter, see where I screwed up, see what I need to fix. I'll read the next chapter before the next game and go, oh, okay, that NPC they met, he's actually important or she's actually important, so I need to bring them back in. And again, it may not be a 100% by the books, but it would allow me to use a module very, very well, better than what I did the first time. And then the, the last thing for me is it's definitely informed how I want you and I to write our module when we finally get around to doing that. The way that I want to present the information differently than the way I would have expected to present it before having tried this. All right. So here's a question as we're wrapping up here. We've talked about what you learned from running these modules and how you will better prepare in the future the next time you run a module. Did you take anything away from this module experience that you feel would be helpful in your preferred 
improv outline based GM style? That's t- that's tough. Um, the thing about modules, again, most of them, I'll, I'll say quote unquote most of them, is they have assumed that you're going to have challenges. They assume that you're going to fight these things or they assume that you're going to try to socially interact with these things. And that really keeps the game part of the role-playing game at the forefront, not in a negative way, but just present. And in my home games, it's usually very role-play heavy and challenges only really come up if the story make if it makes sense for the story, which means sometimes we may go an entire session without any real challenge. And for me, that's great. May not be great for my players, may not be great for everyone else. So I think that's probably the one benefit is to understand that as much as I love role-playing, it's still a game. And a lot of times players want to roll dice. They want to have challenges. They want to utilize all the choices they've made and the skills they've picked or the class features they have. And if you don't give them an opportunity regularly, then you're really not playing D&D. You're just playing a cooperative story game, which again, great for me, may not be great for everybody. Okay. Well, I think that is a good note to end on, and we can probably wrap up this general assembly. Fantastic. All right. So our next and last segment for tonight is new student introductions. And this is what we are going to call the thing we did before, where we would take a class and a background from the fifth edition player's handbook, mush them together and see if we can create some creative or interesting combinations. Uh, We have a chart now of all of the different classes and all the different backgrounds, and we have the ones we've already done marked out, and I randomly picked for this one, and it was Ranger and Criminal. So those are the two we're going to mush together. So when I say, Caleb, you're going to play a criminal background Ranger, what comes to mind, either as the classic trope or like an interesting version that comes to your mind? Well, I think on a classic level, That kind of fits in. If we picture the ranger as the loner out in the wilderness, if I was a criminal in town and I had to escape for my life, I'm probably going to roam the wilderness and I need to learn how to survive. I think ranger fits that very well. So the the classic uh, ran out of town... Maybe for a crime you either did or didn't commit, uh, you know, it's got a bit of an A-team vibe, uh, Michael Knight vibe to it, Knight Rider, for those of you who are older than 27. For me, I thought about, uh, you know, again, you have the option of having like a, a wilderness ranger or you have an urban ranger. And if you go with an urban ranger, basically that's a bounty hunter. So you're, a, you know, again, your background, you were a criminal, doesn't mean you're a criminal currently. Uh, so you could be like almost like a noir detective. You know, you've been on the wrong side of the law, but now you're trying to do the right thing. So you're using your criminal contacts and your criminal criminal background to investigate crimes, be a bounty hunter, you know, some of your typical low-level vigilante type stuff, uh, you know, the, the Equalizer TV show and recent movie where when you need something done, you know, A-Team is a good example, and the actual law won't help you, if you can find this person, maybe they can. Another idea, if we explore... Some of the older versions of the Ranger, there were alternate class features that let you be a Ranger in a specific environment. You said Urban Ranger, and that's, I think, the most easy to understand of this variation. What if, in an extreme example, you were a 
almost a career criminal, but in one of these giant self-contained environments that was all a jail. So if we if we take the trope which shows up more often than not in sci-fi settings, like a jail planet or an entire city that's a jail. Uh, remember the the Batman games where we had Arkham City, and it was that whole the whole island got walled off to, to be the prison. The, the second or third Pitch Black movie, where like the prison planet, and that, that's that's a that's a big trope. Whole planets that are prisons, right? Uh, but it was the second one. But yeah, what if we could say that instead of being an urban ranger, you were a prison ranger (laughs) and you had some of these tropey ranger abilities of being able to survive, being better at gathering information, finding facts, tracking people, playing off the environment you're in, but condensing it into the very closed environment of a jail obviously that's not a class you would play if you were going to escape the jail (laughs) (laughs) well you know that's like your mid-tier level goal and then you gotta change directions right but i kind of see that as almost an npc yeah i I do think the way you're describing sounds more like a contact you would need when your character goes to that place Mm -hmm. than than a playable character but again that that is fine as well yeah i I think from from media, kind of like I was saying earlier, I think actually a Sherlock Holmes, particularly the Robert Downey Jr. version of that, would very much fit into a criminal background ranger. And then also Robin Hood. That's pretty much right out. You know, you're the, the, you have a, a tyrannical government. So maybe you're not really a bad guy, but you're a criminal because you're fighting the tyranny. So, but you're forced to be ostracized and work outside the law, but you're out in the woods and, you know, you got merry men around you and made Marion. Uh, so both of those are classic, I think, versions of that character as well. Yeah, if we are exploring different ways to look at the background in this mashup here, we have to look at what being a criminal really means. And with the Robin Hood example, even though you're doing illegal activities, the the way to twist that trope is to say that the government is the bad guy. And even though I am considered a criminal in this situation, I may not be a robber. (laughs) I might not be the bad guy. Uh, We're kind of, when we say criminal, you immediately jump to the street rat, the the robber, the burglar, and you're doing something different now. Now Now you've taken your class level, so you've left that life behind. But what if, in the scope of the game, you're all criminals? What if you're on the run from a ruler that has uh, slapped you with a criminal sentence unfairly? Or what if you and your group of party members are the only ones who know that the emperor on the throne is actually an extra planar being in disguise who has taken over and is trying to enslave the nation? Kind of makes me think um, it's a bit of a stretch, but not much of one. But Katniss from the Hunger Games, she's not an overt criminal, but she's certainly on the wrong side of the government, and she's aces with the bow. So there's that. Um, you know, again, that that's a very contrived story, but it, it's close. And I mean, realistically, even the most 
tropiest ranger ever, Dritz Duerden, you know, being a drow, uh, I'm sure to most he was thought of as a criminal because of his race before people got to know him. So that could kind of fit as well. Aragorn is the other classic ranger in my mind from from literature. He really wasn't a criminal, but he was kind of an outcast and he had some connections. So, you know, again, that still wouldn't be too far of a stretch. So, I mean, I think that's the thing about the combination. When I, when it first came up, I'm kind of like, uh, you know, I didn't have a strong sense of this one because you could take a lot of character ideas and kind of make them fit. Criminal is one of those backgrounds that because it's what you used to do, you can justify it in so many ways. You know, I mean, Eddie Murphy from the Beverly Hills Cop movies wasn't always a cop when he, you know, he needs to break into a home. Uh, you can justify that a lot. You know, I'm, I wasn't always what I am now to have a contact with somebody in the Thieves Guild or Black Market or somebody, you know, who, who does poisons and you need to figure out who poisoned who. Uh, so it's a very versatile background. But I think probably Robert Downey Jr., Sherlock Holmes or Robin Hood would be the two that I would go to as, as examples. I agree. I absolutely agree. Those are great examples of this class and background combination. But we don't always have to have the background truly be a career you left behind. Depending on the type of game you're playing, maybe you still are a criminal. Maybe you are adventuring with this party for a form of protection. Maybe this is your disguise. Maybe you're playing more of a, an anti-hero heist game or session, or campaign, and your background is a little bit more important because you are actively part of the Thieves' Guild. I mean, uh, I would say, depending on the type of story in your game, most likely a homebrew game at this point, uh, the Thieves' Guild might send party members out to explore ruins and find things or get information on other cities. They might need a guide they could trust, to get through the wilderness or explore the ruins. A criminal ranger is a perfect character for that situation. You just made me think of Beastmaster. You have a trained animal companion that helps you pilfer things, getting into places that other things can't get. And with some of the newer versions of the ranger in the Unearthed Arcana, you could do that pretty effectively. And you, I mean, yes, you could still even with current with some of the fluff, you could make it work. I mean, there's ways to train animals. You know, you could have a hawk that slips through an open window and grabs the necklace on the nightstand. Or again, you have uh, dire ferrets that, you know, can break into someone's home uh, and, and bring out the cheese or whatever. So, yeah, so now, now I'm on the Beastmaster. I think that might be the best example of a uh, criminal ranger. And if we're going to continue finding examples in old movies. Uh, what was the thief that ran around with Conan? Uh, he he survived out in the wilderness on his own. I mean, they went to the thieves' city, right? Which Conan are we talking about? There's there's like seven now. I, I'm. Let's talk about Arnold. Let's talk about the okay. real Conan. Originally, he found him in a crow's cage on the side of the road, I think. Or no, he was like chained up to die, and then he freed him. Something like that. So he definitely was a criminal, and he was a thief. He didn't do a lot in the first movie. I, I just, I, so honestly, I watched that within the last three weeks, and I don't, yeah, he didn't do a lot. So maybe it's not a great example, but I think if we look to old movies, specifically Conan, which is basically D&D on the big screen, but the good way, <laughs> uh, all of those characters had some sort of survival skills. 
And when we look at the rogue or the thief, this is a character that is doing thiefy criminal things, but also running around and, and finding traps and surviving in the wilderness. So this one's a bit more of a stretch, but there are some rangerish tendencies we could at least point at and say, hey, that's that's kind of a ranger ability. It might not be the right class ability, but there's some inspiration there. Yeah. And uh, and as always, we will throw this out to the listeners. If you have a good example of a criminal ranger that we didn't cover or your own, please let us know. We will uh, we will include it in a future episode or throw it up on the website for people to see and comment on. Um, so, Caleb, any last words before we close up the uh, new student introductions? No, but I definitely liked the newer Conan movie with Aquaman before he was Aquaman. Uh, I might be alone in that opinion, but I very much enjoyed that movie. Okay, so let's... Uh, <laughs> so we we hope that you've enjoyed today's show. Before we get to new reviews, uh, we do want to take a moment to thank uh, some of our Patreon supporters. As we mentioned kind of at the top of the show in a couple of places, we do have a Patreon for our show. If you're not familiar, Patreon is a place where listeners or followers of any sort of creative work can donate money to help support those that create it. So if you like our show and you would like to support us, the easiest way is to give us a five-star review on iTunes or Stitcher or buy something from Amazon and go through our portal first. You know, that costs you nothing. Uh, but if you want to donate some money, and we do have some people who do that for us, uh, you can do that through patreon.com. It sets up as a monthly donation that, that we get every month that helps support our show. We'd use it to buy new equipment, pay for con type stuff when I go to Gen Con, help us do events. You know, we bought a new computer at one point because of the money to help with editing and so on and so forth. So the money is very, very helpful. And our newest patron is Joey at Reverus on Twitter. Uh, Joey is a fairly new listener, just caught on recently, and he's actually going to be at a Catacon. And he is one of our top tier uh, patrons as well. So thank you so very much, Joey. And I'm looking forward to gaming with you in nine days. Is it really nine days away? Nine days from when we start. Jeez. 10 from when uh, people show up. Um, we also have new to the Patreon, Eric Easterly and Cody, I want to say Boker. Hopefully that's not destroying that. So thank the three of you very much for joining our Patreon. To those of you who have been around longer, I uh, don't think we don't love you just as much. Uh, we are going to start thanking and recognizing our patrons on every episode. So we will get to you soon. But with all of this out of the way for now, it is time to move on to the dulcet tones of the Caleb G as he reads our newest five-star iTunes reviews. Alrighty, so we have three new five-star reviews over on good old iTunes USA. Uh, if there are other reviews out there, we will find them and read them next time. Let's start things off with a review titled, I Want to Go to Detention by The D Project. I haven't listened to the other pieces of the show, Rot Iron, etc., but I'm pretty sure Detention is my fave. I mean, if you're talking about Nightside, Dresden, and Paladins, I am way in. Keep up the good work. Well, thanks, The D Project. I appreciate that. And I really want you to listen to the rest of our podcast, because we do a lot more than Detention. So there's your homework, buddy. Uh, in the next couple months, where we might not be releasing as many episodes, uh, listen to the rest of the show, and then tell us more about what you think. 
moving on from there, we have a review titled Great Podcast by Silviche. Silviche writes, this is an excellent role-playing podcast with tons of useful advice for new GMs and veterans alike. Thanks, Silviche. We try our best. And lastly, we have a review titled Most Enthusiastic DMs, submitted by James Sweetland. James writes, Two guys who have more passion for RPGs than anyone else. A great podcast if you're excited about RPGs and hearing other people's excitement pumps you up. James, I feel like I should have done that in a very bad Arnold impersonation. I was right there with you, buddy. I'm here to pump you up. You you did the clap. I'm here to pump you, you up. up. I met Arnold, actually. Oh, when, really? Yeah, when he was in that whole kids fitness thing with the whole pump you up. Yeah, it was like two two seconds. Oh, nice. He's a big fella. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. Just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that should catch us up with our reviews. If we have missed any, we apologize. We will absolutely catch up next faculty meeting. Guys, we really appreciate these reviews. They are fun to read. They keep Michael and I energized and excited. And the the ratings and reviews help other listeners find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and various other search engines. So thank you very much, and please keep them coming. Thank you, Caleb. As always, thank you, everyone listening. And with that, I will adjourn this meeting. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGAcademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the Drive-Thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at The RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, The Caleb G, at The Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at The RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.